So today we're looking at Psalm 86. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful psalm. Uh, and um, what we're going to do for the next three weeks is we're going to be looking at uh, three basic Christian practices, practices uh, or so I like to think. Uh, three basic Christian practices. Today we're looking at prayer. Next week we're looking at scripture, uh, essentially reading scripture. And the final third week we're looking at communion, the community. And that is the week that we're going to be meeting together with the church uh, CC for communion as well. So these three uh, Christian basic practices. I'm a Baptist, so that's what we, we all grew up learning. So I think, I think it's a very... Um, um, I, I felt that it was very important to talk about uh, prayer, scripture, and community as well, even as a church. So I thought we'll do that for the next few weeks. And after that, surprise, surprise, we're already in the Advent season, Christmas season. Uh, we're particularly excited for this year because we're looking at um, three songs associated to Christmas. We're looking at Mary's song, we're looking at um, Zechariah's song, and Simeon's song. So we're looking at three songs of poems. So I'm quite excited for uh, the three Advent themes uh, for this year. So uh, looking forward to that. Um, but speaking of Christmas, um, I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's more Christmassy stuff going on around us. Uh, it, back at home, I'm from India, for some of you who may not know. Back at home, it's Michael Bublé and uh, Bonnie M. Uh, Bonnie M doesn't seem to be that popular here, but it's like the staple back at home. Uh, and I, we, we, were, we were chatting with, with a few of our friends uh, last week, and uh, there are some places in the world where Christmas stuff begins by October, which is a bit extreme, but uh, we are not quite there, but November, end of November is where uh, Christmas stuff starts happening. And so we, we also see that in, in the markets, there's lights coming up. And um, I say that because I'm, um, I, I find it interesting that I, I consider these things, this music, this soundscape, um, this stuff that you see, advertisements, are kind of liturgy of, uh, of um, markets and of uh, Christmas. And by that I mean the things that repeat every year and prepares us for what's coming. Uh, in more positive terms, it prepares us for the exciting things of Christmas, with lights and happiness and a family, but in certain sense also it prepares us for marketing, for, for buying things, uh, there's sales going on. And so we are being prepared for that, for that uh, time that's coming up in a few weeks or so. And I think it ties to, to what I have to say about prayer today. Uh, uh, prayer, um, prayer is essentially uh, what prepares us and what transforms us and moves us to, to something. Just like these uh, advertisements and all these uh, liturgy of cultures, as I just, I'll explain more what I mean by that later. But in the same ways that these things around us prepare us for something, uh, in the same way prayer also prepares us for uh, another thing, something else. So with that in the backdrop, um, let's look at Psalm 86. I will be reading from ESV, ESV version, New Standard Version, but uh, just feel free to follow along in whatever versions you have. Psalm 86. Great is your steadfast love. This is a prayer of David. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. For I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, 
for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, trouble I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not, do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant, and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor, that those who hate me may see and be put to shame. Because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So this is Psalm 86, a prayer of David. As I was preparing for this, uh, for this text, for this uh, sermon, the, uh, one of the um, common comments that I read about this text is that there's nothing particularly unique about this psalm because it's almost like an anthology, a compilation, collection of typical prayers that we hear in the psalm. So there's praise, there's uh, supplication. Uh, so it's, it's almost like a collection of what other psalms look like. So it's not necessarily unique or uh, original in itself. And, and I think it's the same kind of uh, feeling that you get when we read through the psalms. For example, there's 150 psalms in the Old Testament. And there's, I mean, it, these, all these psalms, these are not 150 unique psalms, right? These are all, they echo one another. There's uh, 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 parallels in between psalms. There are some psalms that focus more on one thing. But by and large, they echo something um, similar, almost repetitive, if I may say so. And I think the, the commentators say, the writers say that, th that is because prayer essentially is not necessarily about originality. It's not about, about being original in what you say. Um, Psalm teaches us that prayers can be, can we say repetitive, can, can echo what we have already said. Uh, it's not necessarily about being original. It's about developing habits and patterns that, uh, that are almost um, ritualistic or liturgical. Uh, I think as evangelicals, and especially from in my background as a Baptist, we are always suspicious of anything ritualistic and liturgy. Like, we don't, I mean, we're not liturgical people, we're free people. We express freely and we, we are genuine and all that. But what Psalm, the books of Psalm, and especially Psalm 86 tells us that prayer is not necessarily about originality. It's about, uh, it's about saying the things that develop us and produce habits and patterns of the way we think the way we respond to God. And what we mean, what I mean by this is, uh, going back to liturgy or culture, um, particularly one um, Christian writer, James K.A. Smith, 
uh, he talks about this. He says that we may be suspicious of liturgy and rituals, but the fact is that our culture, our world, is full of liturgies. Uh, and he talks about, for example, liturgical effect of marketing. How marketing and advertisements prepare us and prime us uh, for a certain goal. Social media, for example, this uh, it, we cannot see it outrightly, but there's liturgical effects that happens to us when we are scrolling day in day out. Uh, you know, we're we're dwelling in that place and in that system, all, um, pretty much all of our waking hours. Films, right? And James K. Smith talks about. I, I found this very interesting. He talks about supermarkets, how the supermarkets are designed and spaces allocated in such a way that it prepares us to to be customers, it prepares us to, to, to get the product that they are selling to us, um, training us to, towards a sort of expectation and patterns, and ultimately transforming us into that pattern to be customers or to be buyers or consumers. I'm not here to rant about culture, I'm, I'm trying to point out that if, if, even though we may be suspicious of liturgy and, and habits and rituals, we live in a world that's, um, that's yeah, that functions in, in these kinds of ways. And uh, of course, um, I think it was Aristotle who, who is supposed to have said, we are, we are what we repeatedly do. Uh, we are creatures of habit. The rhythms and the routines that we put ourselves um, every day, that's who we ultimately become. The prophets, the Old Testament prophets, put it in another way. They say, you become what you worship. You become what you look at and behold. We become what we dwell in things that we soak ourselves in, that the liturgy, that liturgy forms us to its own pattern and image. And so we come back to prayer. And I think one of the more, one of the important roles of prayer is to have is to produce some kind of a liturgical power in our soul, in our minds, so that we are transformed into what God wants us to be. We are transformed to be more grateful in life. We're transformed to be more uh, repentant, to be more aware of our shortcomings, our sinfulness. So in a sense, prayer, yes, prayer should be original. Prayer should be fresh and heartfelt. I'm not saying that all prayer should be structured and you have to repeat uh, a, a particular prayer. Yes, prayer should be original and fresh and true and genuine. Uh, but it, and it should not just be a repeat or rehash of somebody else's prayer. It must be a true, genuine expression of our faith, but um, it also must be formed by the, what we learn from the Bible. I guess the best example for me, uh, uh, example that has helped me to understand this, is uh, in, in when you're playing a guitar, or let's talk about guitar. Before you become original, before you are able to produce your own piece, first you need to learn to follow the riffs of the masters, right? You need to first learn how to play like them and uh, sing, play the songs and follow their pattern. And eventually, at the end of that, hopefully, we become original. Um, I, I mean, that's, that's another story, but first, in order to become original, you first learn what the masters did uh, in terms of guitar. And I think prayer also was uh, in, in a way like that. Psalm is the, the book of Psalms. And of course, in the whole Bible as well, we see a lot of patterns of prayers. And, uh, as we read Psalm 86 and other Psalms as well, these uh, following the patterns of the prayer of people 
forms us and trains us to become uh, original in our faith in a, in, a, in a good way. So, just to backtrack a bit, when it comes to prayer, there's prayer that is about um, asking for God's help, just like we prayed in, in the beginning, that people who are sick, we pray for that. There's a cry for help, prayer that is a cry for help. But aside from that, prayer is also what is called spiritual practice because of this. Because it is, it, it is prayer that forms us and, uh, and trains us in a certain way. And what's remarkable, coming back to Psalm 86, is that Psalm 86 provides um, a healthy and wholesome pattern for prayer. And it tells us about the transformative power of prayer on the person. So with that said, let's look at Psalm 86 and let's look at um, a few um, themes that emerge, uh, patterns that emerge. Firstly, we see from Psalm 86 that prayer is rooted in a knowledge of who God is and who we are in relation to God. Prayer is rooted in the knowledge of who God is and who we are in relation to God. So here he says uh, in Psalm 86 beginning, he says, O Lord, answer me, for I am poor and needy. There's a statement about himself. He calls himself poor and needy. And elsewhere he says, I am your servant. Um, this is an acknowledgement of who he is as David in front of God. That he is only a servant. He is only someone who is subservient to God. Uh, as a servant, of course, ser the, the concept of servanthood and slavery and all that is uh, very distant, very alien for us today in the 21st century. But the, the idea essentially is that as a servant, he needs guidance from the master. And in the same way, David is acknowledging in this prayer that he is only a servant and he needs guidance and direction from God. Uh, as a servant looks to the master, as another psalm says. As a servant, he's keen to do the master's will. He is keen and looking out to do God's will. He is subservient to God because God is the creator and he is simply a creation. Uh, two completely different realms. He is Lord and we are subjects. Right? So when, the, when David cries out, my Lord, and he calls himself your servant, a couple of times actually in this psalm, he is acknowledging the, the basic relationship that he has as a human being to God, that God is the one who leads. God is the one who is master, and we are simply servants. And I think this is a great opportunity, as the, the template of Psalm 86 reminds us. Prayer invites us and gives us an opportunity to be reminded that we are, He is God, and we are, we need Him, just as we sang some, some time earlier. It is we who need Him, it is not the other way around. It is God who leads, it's not us. It's God's wisdom and guidance that we need and not the other way around. So prayer, first of all, is an opportunity to be reminded of who is God and who are we in relation to that to God. So it's rooted in the knowledge of who God is. Secondly, it's rooted in a personal knowledge of God's work. And we see that in verse 5 to 7. Um, experience David as a believer as someone who put his faith in God, he has experienced God's deliverance in the past. He has experienced God's move in the past. 
for example, there, there are many instances where God delivered him from the hands of King Saul, who was out to, to destroy him. And David, uh, in 2 Samuel, literally praises God that he has delivered him from the hands of his enemy. So he, he has already experienced God's work in his life. And prayer is rooted out of that personal experience, personal knowledge. And so what this reminds us is to ask ourselves, do you, do we have a story of how God was real to you at one point of your life? At a time when you know that it was only God who made that happen. So prayer is an opportunity to not just remember, not just be reminded of who God is, but also to remember who God is to you. Uh, God's realness and God's help in our personal lives. And prayer is an opportunity to remember and to acknowledge that He has done that for you. Prayer is also rooted in not just the personal knowledge, but in the collective knowledge of God. And we see this in verse, um, yeah, I think in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, 9 onwards as well. Uh, when, when David says, um, abounding in, in verse 5, he says, O Lord, you are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Here he's echoing um, the, the, the story of Israel. He's echoing, for example, Exodus 3, 34, 6, where God says he is, uh, you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He's echoing a time when um, God was real to the people of Israel. So collectively, prayer is, prayer is rooted in the collective knowledge of God's work, uh, God's, God's goodness. In other words, it's not just your personal experience, that's what I'm trying to say. It's not just your personal experience that you are rooting in when you pray. We are rooting ourselves in the collective experience of God's work. And I think that's why the practical implication of that is that we need to read scripture. We need to read, read scripture because scripture is where God's story is told. And of course, in the uh, people of Israel, where God was real to them, God helped them, and uh, God rescued them, right? So when we pray, we are, we are sort of remembering what God has done collectively to his people. So reading scripture is therefore an important part of prayer. I think I have experienced this in my life as well. When our knowledge of scripture is lacking, even our prayer is a bit shallow because we don't have a kind of resource to tap into to pray. So reading scripture is an important part of prayer. But I will also add, this is where the community as a church here, our congregation, is important. Where we tell one another what God has done for you. We witness to one another, um, to testify our testimony to one another that God has done this in our lives. And story of healing, for example. Story in which God has answered prayer or God did not answer prayer. Uh, fellowship and communion, community, sharing our story with one another is important because this is also the collective knowledge, collective experience of who God is. So prayer is an opportunity to tap into the collective experience of who God is and how God has worked in our lives. So prayer invites us to remember who God is, uh, to put it in short, in the first section. Who God is and what God has done, first of all, in our personal lives and God has done collectively for all of us. Uh, scripture and community is the resource for us to, to tap from for our prayer. 
I think um, for, for me particularly, personally speaking, this, this is really effective because many times I'm, let's say I'm, I'm in, a position, in, a, in a place of trouble, in a place of uh, stress. And if I look at the world from that moment, in that position, um, sometimes when I look at life from that moment of, uh, of, of uh, less than ideal situations, uh, things tend to be, I tend to have a myopic view, uh, a, sh uh, a short range view. I forget what God has done in the past, uh, yeah, to, in, in the Bible as well, but also among our friends, my own life, right? So sometimes when we're in that position, I need to be reminded that, hey, God has done this in the past. God has done this for the people. God has done this for my friend. God has done it for you, right? And to be reminded. So prayer is that liturgical ex ex exercise of remembering and being reminded of what God has done, who God is. Because when I'm in that position with a, a short range view, uh, it's hard to trust. It's hard to remember. Uh, it's easier to just uh, waddle in the negativity or in the sadness of the moment, but prayer is an opportunity for us to look beyond that and trust in His promise. Opportunity to express and articulate our faith in Him. Just like the first song said, right? I can't remember the exact word, but, but hallelujah. Regardless of where you are, you choose to say hallelujah. And it's not easy. But it is a liturgical exercise in which we choose to put our trust in God. And this is where um, <laughs> Prayer becomes transformation. Prayer becomes a part of uh, exercise of transformation. Because he says this in verse 11. He says, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in the truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. This is, I think this is remarkable. Because here he's asking God to remind him, to teach him, and also to transform him. And I think this is where prayer invites us to remember that we are seeking transformation in our life. We are seeking not just resolution of the current problem that we are in, but we are seeking transformation in our life. Uh, prayer is an opportunity to, to look at ourselves, to search ourselves and ask, are we conforming to the patterns of the world or are we being transformed uh, by the renewing of the mind as Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says. So we, uh, David reminds us here that we ought to pray intentionally for transformation. Right? We ought to pray intentionally for transformation. That I may rely on your faithfulness. What a remarkable prayer that is. Right? Teach me a way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name, so that I can fear your name. Right? Now, of course, this is an acknowledgement that transformation comes only from God, and it is the work of the Holy Spirit. And the one who prays this kind of prayer is the one who acknowledges that even his faith and his faithfulness, even our discipleship, depends on the instruction and uh, the help that we get from God. Verse 11, the last line of verse 11 particularly is striking. Unite my heart to fear your name. As I mentioned, prayer is not only for deliverance from trouble, prayer is for the formation of ourselves. Unite my heart is a petition that, that longs for God's salvation. In Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 39, God promises to Israel that I will give you a new heart and I will give you uh, a new, uh, uh, give and lead you in one way, in, in 
single-minded direction. Um, when we say unite my heart, it's claiming that promise from God. So our desire in prayer is that we will be reoriented in our focus and in our heart. Just as James said, right? In, to be have, have a single-minded faith. So prayer is not only a plea for life, a plea for help. Prayer is a submission of our life. Prayer is the voice of commitment. It is to say, uh, it is to submit ourselves to God and for His word. So yes, just to sum it up, prayer is connecting with God. And uh, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a kid now, uh, and I'm longing for the time when uh, the, the child can communicate, right? And so it's not like prayer, prayer is a transactional uh, dynamic between God and us. Uh, as much as we love to communicate with one another, and especially with a child, in the same way, the, the beauty of prayer is that we are communicating, we are connecting with God, to tell our hearts, to tell what is in our mind, to, uh, to share what has been bothering us and all of that. But it's not just that. It's, it is to, to be reoriented ourselves. Prayer is to be reoriented ourselves. And I think this answers the question that I've asked many times in the past, and the question is this. If God already knows what is in my mind, in our heart, what's the point in praying? Like, he already knows, right? The Bible says, even before our words came on my tongue, He already knows what it is. So what's the point in prayer? I think prayer is important, even though God already knows us. Prayer is important because, yes, it is important to express and communicate and connect with God, but also we need prayer because we need to be transformed. We need to go through that, the, the transformative, trans, transformative uh, liturgy of prayer. We need to be moved, and that is why we pray. And so, I want to uh, ask you to, to think about this uh, in your personal level, perhaps in your level of family, and even as a church. Um, what healthy liturgies, what healthy patterns are we uh, practicing um, in our lives? The patterns that, that are life-giving um, and that, that feed into the important role of being transformed according to God's will. And I think this is absolutely vital in our life because uh, as uh, James K. Smith writes in his book, and as we are all aware as well, the world, uh, there's, there's a lot of liturgies around us that, that easily sway us and lead us otherwise. And we need to make sure that we are in, in, in track of being transformed according to who God wants us to be. And I think, yeah, James also says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give generously without finding fault. So staying the course of faith, living our life of faith, um, and to make sure that we're living a wholesome and heavenly perspective. And if you're wondering, I don't know where to go to, I don't know what, what kind of resource I can look at, uh, I would suggest the Psalms is a great place to start, for example, just like we, we did briefly did. Psalms is a great place to start. Of course, the context is different, the language may be a bit uh, strange and uh, uh, disconnected from us, but if we dig into the Psalms, it's a great place to, to, to remind us how to pray and how we should be praying in such a way that we are being transformed into the likeness, likeness of God. So remember, prayer helps us to remember and prayer helps us, reminds us to ask for the power of transformation that comes only from God. And prayer reminds us that it is a commitment, recommitment to, uh, to live a life of faith. So that is 
Uh, th those are a few thoughts uh, from Psalm 86 that I wanted to share with us. And uh, this is my prayer that God will help us to, to put all, all of this into practice. And these are not just words that we, we entertain ourselves with. Let me pray and then we'll uh, pass the time back to Holland and we'll respond back to saying, Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have invited us to, um, to um, connect with you. And uh, you have allowed us to reveal yourself to us in your word in such a way that we can get to know you. And you have not let, let us as orphans, as your word says, but you have given us the Holy Spirit who teaches us and who, are move, who is moving us um, in the direction that you want us to go uh, to the extent that we are obedient to you. And so we ask that you would help us in this journey of life, um, keep us safe from, um, from influences, uh, from, as, as Paul says, keep us safe from the patterns of the world that we may no longer be conformed to these conformed to these patterns, but we want to be transformed by your Spirit. And as your word promises us, as we look to you, as we behold and contemplate your face, uh, we are being transformed into your likeness. So we want to claim that promise, and we, we want to recommit ourselves that we would keep looking to you and keep praying to you uh, and seeking you as a servant, seeking master. Thank you for hearing our prayers. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.